Hi, everyone, and welcome to this reading of the business record. Uh, this is the first time I've ever read this, so we'll just see how it goes. But uh, we haven't updated this thing in a while, so probably ought to do that by now. This is Andrew Haup here filling in for this reading of the business record. This is the Friday, January 13th, 2023 edition. And uh, we are looking at uh, some of the happenings here. Uh, today was Governor Reynolds' inauguration. She was inaugurated for her second full term, uh, her third term overall, which is starting off that today. Top three things to know. This is the business briefing that starts on page six after uh, all the ads and all that. Take a look at some of the re top recent news you may not have seen. Read full stories on these and other topics at businessrecord.com. Okay, all right, number one. $14.5 million renovation of Valair Ballroom planned by owner. The owner of the historic Valair Ballroom is planning a, a $14.5 million renovation of the property, and that includes raising the roof to accommodate modifications to the stage, according to West Des Moines City documents. On January 3rd, the West Des Moines City Council unanimously approved a development agreement with Samuel Summers, the property's owner. The agreement calls for the city to provide up to 1.18... Well, maybe that's supposed to be million dollars. I'm not sure. But um, it's uh, in the form of property tax rebates over a 10-year period to Summers, who is doing business as VAB LLC. In return, Summers will complete renovations of the property by January 1st, 2024. That brings its minimum assessed value to at least $5.5 million, according to city documents. Currently, the property is valued at $1.4 million, with nearly all evaluation in the land, according to the Polk County Assessor. Kimberly Development launches a new affordable line of housing. Bill Kimberly, founder and president of Ankeny-based Kimberly Development Corporation, has launched Progressive Builders, a line of affordably priced single-family homes or houses and townhomes that will be built in central Iowa communities. Progressive Builders joins Kimberly's other services that include community and land development, commercial property development, and home building businesses, including benchmark builders. Progressive Builders' line of home styles and layouts will offer a selection of quality crafted homes in the central Iowa area for a larger market of buyers, including single-family homeowners those seeking townhome options, and those looking for new home options in growing communities, according to a news release. And then thirdly here, part-time plant business grows to full-time venture. In 2021, Hunter Frescombe, that last name is spelled F-E-R-E, -E, I'm going to say that again, F-R-E-S-C-O-L-N, F-R-E-S-C-O-L-N, Frescone, began his plant and garden company as a part-time web-based business. However, as demand grew, the 30-year-old interior designer decided to turn the trendy gardener design plus landscapes into a full-time venture. Frescone recently opened a 2,000-square-foot showroom at 1905 E.P. True Parkway in West Des Moines. The showroom features more than 60 varieties of plants, including about 40 subspecies of philodendrons. In addition to the store inventory, more than 350 other plants can be found on the business's website, TrendyGardenClub.com. The CRE Weekly Transaction of the Week. 
the real estate transactions in our commercial real estate weekly e-newsletter from Polk and Dallas counties include information about deals of $1 million or more, including the sale of single-family homes as well as other transactions of interest. The newsletter is reported and produced by senior staff writer Kathy Bolton. Here's one of the recent deals. For $900,000, the site at 1301 Mulberry Street in downtown Des Moines, uh, it's... Uh, the development of a five-story mixed-use building at 13th and Mulberry Streets in downtown Des Moines. It is inching forward. 13th and Mulberry Multifamily LLC, managed by Lloyd Koss, located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, paid 13th and Mulberry LLC $900,000 for nearly one-half acre of vacant lot at 1301 Mulberry Street, Polk County Real Estate Records show. In a related action, 13th and Mulberry Multifamily LLC obtained a $14.1 million mortgage on the property from Security National Bank of Omaha. The mortgage was recorded on December 27th, the same day the real estate transaction was recorded. Lloyd Koss and others have proposed building a five-story mixed-use building on the site, which for years has been used for parking. The building would include underground parking and nearly 10,000 square feet of commercial space, according to information provided to the Urban Design Review Board in November of 2021. Also included would be 78 residential units spread over four stories. The apartments would range in size from studio to four-bedroom units. A building permit for the project has not yet been issued, a review of records shows. Let's go to quote of the week. A lot of people are taking stock of where they sit with a lot of national trends and international trends pointing towards a possible recession. That being said, demand is still high. We are not seeing layoffs across our workforce, and so the need for employees to come back into the workforce remains very high, so says Joe Murphy, the Iowa Business Council Executive Director. All right, starting on page 7 here, we have the Power Breakfast Series, Finding Workforce in Creative Ways. This Thursday, February 16th, 7 to 9, it takes place. Uh, companies can continue to look for unique strategies to draw in more workers as nearly every industry faces tight labor markets. Anyway, on this, our uh, panelists, Ahmed Aggieman, director of the Evelyn K. Davis Center for Working Families at the DMAC Urban, Urban Campus. Kathy Anderson, deputy division administrator, Iowa Workforce Development's Business Engagement Division. And Marvin DeGier, chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I didn't quite realize that was an ad, but uh, we'll just continue nonetheless. So this next piece on page 8, Connecting Kids with Healthy Food. Editor's note, the story first ran in our sister publication, DSM Magazine, and it gives a website for that publication. You may have heard the statistic. In Polk County, one in five children don't have adequate access to nutritious foods, according to Feeding America. But behind that number are children who are more at risk to develop poor health, including stomach aches, headaches, colds, and fatigue than their food-secure peers, according to the Food Research and Action Center, a national nonprofit organization focused on eliminating hunger. What's more, malnutrition can compromise a child's brain development, leading to a lifelong lower IQ, as well as emotional and behavioral problems, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Recognizing this reality, local nonprofits have stepped up efforts to help the children they serve get the food they need. The Boys and Girls Club of Iowa, of Central Iowa, or BGCCI, Feeding the Future program, for example, seeks to make sure club members have consistent access to nutritious foods outside of school time, says Nicole Schlieff-Sin, 
the organization's chief development officer. Offered through all eight club locations, the program started 10 years ago in response to growing insecurity among club kids, Shalif Sin says. Today, some 2,000 children and teens, all who qualify for free or reduced price lunches, are served through the program. All right, that's on page 8 about uh, the uh, feeding program, Boys and Girls Club. Next up, business leaders look for lawmakers to address workforce priorities. It's written by Michael Crum. As Iowa lawmakers convene this week, some of the state's top business groups are closely watching after revealing their priorities in the weeks leading up to this year's legislative session. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry, the Iowa Business Council, the Technology Association of Iowa, and the Greater Des Moines Partnership all released their priorities ahead of the start of this year's session. For each group, leaders say their legislative priorities will help build Iowa's workforce and make the state more competitive. When you look at them, they are all areas in which we are elevating our competitiveness to create jobs and opportunities for Iowans and to provide opportunities for Iowa businesses to expand, said Iowa Business Council Executive Director Joe Murphy in announcing his group's legislative priorities for 2023. The Iowa Business Council listed competitive tax policy, mental health, tort reform, and workforce initiatives when it released its priorities last month. Iowa ABI listed workforce, tort reform, property tax reform, and reduction, and regulatory reform as its priorities for 2023. The Greater Des Moines Partnership held a breakfast event on December 13th where it released its priorities for this year's session. The partnership's priorities include workforce readiness, regulatory reform, child care, housing, place making, and the Des Moines International Airport Improvement Project. Andrea Woodard, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Public Policy at the partnership, said before the December 13th event that the legislature already does a lot, of, a lot to address the issue of workforce and that the partnership is looking not only for support for existing programs, but funding for new ones, too. The partnership has a number of initiatives that focus on the retention and recruitment of talent, and I think it's also showcasing the programs and initiatives that we have here to our lawmakers to show them, perhaps, whether it's ideas that could be supported through policy and funding, she said. Woodard said the partnership is looking for lawmakers to find creative ways to address the state's workforce issues. The partnership will also push for programs to address the state's housing challenge and seek regulatory reform, she said. Woodard also said placemaking will be a top priority for the partnership in 2023, as will continued support for the Des Moines International Airport Improvement Plan. This is our opportunity to continue to elevate the need of this project and the urgency for it, she said. The issue and need for space isn't going away, and the dollars that have been appropriated have deadlines, so funding that gap is increasingly more important in order to compete, complete the project. Brian Waller, president of the Technology Association of Iowa, said in a release announcing the group's legislative priorities that TAI is eager to build on our policy positions and have identified key areas of focus centered on data privacy and cybersecurity. The organization's priorities for the 2023 session include connectivity, cybersecurity, data privacy, business growth, and state and federal funds. We will also actively support legislation that advances talent development, computer science education, innovation, and making Iowa a more inclusive and equi equitable place to build technology careers, Waller said in the release ahead of the session's start.
Here's a story about Fairway. It's entitled Fairway Focuses on Growth Through Pandemics Economic Downturn. It's written by Michael Crump here in the business record. If you don't live near a Fairway grocery store or see one as you drive around your community, chances are you will soon. The Boone-based grocery store has opened 11 stores from 2020 to 2022, bringing its portfolio to 133 stores in seven states. Five more are planned for 2023, with the possibility of one more that the company hasn't announced yet. The company employs 12,000 people. The business record sat down with Garrett Picklap, Fairway's president, recently to discuss the company's strategy for growth and how it stayed its course throughout the economic downturn that occurred during the pandemic when many companies halted their capital spending and laid off employees. Picklap said the company was thoughtful in its response to the pandemic and in the planning that enabled it to continue its plan to add stores, renovate others, and place stores in communities that otherwise would go unserved by a local grocery store. Here is what Picklap had to say about the company's strategy for growth and its vision for the future. Spoiler alert, there are no plans to open stores on Sunday. This Q&A has been lightly edited for clarity and length. That's a note from the business record. Here's the first question. What did Fairway do to weather through the pandemic and continue adding stores to its portfolio? Here's the answer. I can remember where I was when we said, okay, COVID-19 is a real thing and we need to start putting a plan together to respond. And therefore, for a duration of time, we were meeting the quickly evolving demands and everything COVID-19 was stressing our model. And I can remember where I was when we said, okay, we have our house in order. We're proud of our response plan. We're proud of how we're taking care of our customers and our employees. We need to get back to planning outside of COVID. It was still early in 2020 when our leadership team sat down and said, we need to plan for Fairway 2021, 2022, 2023. So we went to the drawing board saying that this will likely have other implications outside of just the medical implications of COVID. It's likely going to stress these other things. Call it people, call it supply, call it demand, call it hoarding, call it pricing call it whatever, and we put a plan in place to start addressing the implications. And what item was building sourcing material, and we ordered a number of building materials that we thought were going to be stressed very early on to allow us to continue this cadence of building three to five stores a year. And so far, so good. Well, how does Fairway choose a location for a new store? We have a number of models that we have found success with to serve the type of community that we're targeting. For example, we have Rockwell City and Ogden, and then Norwalk. In 2022, we opened Beaverdale and Olathe, Kansas. When we were targeting a community, we look at a number of things. One could be proximity to the nearest fairway, distance from our distribution center, market-specific demographics, growth traffic schools, comprehensive plan, and then where we think our model would fit in well with what specific attributes to the community are. Here's the next question. There's been a lot of conversation over the past decade or so about grocery deserts and small towns that lose their hometown grocery store. Is part of Fairway's strategy to go into those areas that aren't served by others? Here's the answer. Absolutely. Part of our breadth of models is a model to meet those smaller communities. Fairway has been operating in towns of 2,000 people plus or minus for 30 years. 
Belmod and Eldora come to mind, but the implications of COVID, inflation being one of them, is stressing investments in these rural areas. That's one of the things that's probably most adversely affected by today's current environment as building materials have skyrocketed and contractors are hard to find and capital has increased. Taking all those variables and putting a bow, a bow around them in a town of 1,900 people has become super difficult. That's the downside. The positive is that there are a number of tools implemented by the state that assist these capital investments in these communities, and there are a number of tools by the state that allow local governments to invest in these projects. All of that said, you still need to have the bones in a market. Next question. Is the decision-making process different for remodeling an existing store? The answer? With 133 stores and a number of them that are plus 10, plus 20, plus 30 years old, when we get to this certain point in that plus model, we are evaluating whether it makes sense to go down the street and build new or go on the outside of town and build new or reinvest in this asset knowing it's going to still be incredibly expensive and incredibly disruptive. And at the end of it, what have we gained? We weigh a bunch of factors in determining which ones we do or to do, but it comes down to, do we like where we are in town? Is this square footage sufficient for the community? If a remodel can meet the needs of the community for the next 10, 20, 30 years and we love our spot, then we will likely try to stay there, invest in that asset, minimize disruption to our customers, and be proud of that experience when it's all said and done. Next question, what is the economic impact of a fairway store in a community? Here's the answer. Stores can range from anywhere between a $3 million investment to a $10 million investment. That's new construction for retail brick and mortar. The economic impact is greater than people may realize. We generally have 50 to 100 employees. Every employee comes from a household of 2.3 to 2.7 people, so you can start to do the math, whether it's through groceries, property taxes in a community, or income taxes to the state. The tidal wave of a fairway investment in a community is very impactful. Our final question and answer here. Who is Fairway as a company in the future? The answer, we're a fourth-generation family-owned company with 12,000 people that consider we consider extended family. We value our farmers and local partners. We value our employees. We treat our customers with a high level of service. I'm proud of all those things, and I'm proud that we put our money where our mouth is. UC Fairway is doing everything that we stand for, and I feel we're more dialed in now than we've ever been before. We often talk about how the only constant variable is change. Everything is changing all the time, and planning for tomorrow is a never-ending exercise. So whether it's through our customer experience at brick and mortar or customer experience online, our benefit package, or how we give back, we're evaluating those things, our pillars, all the time. I don't have a crystal ball because the last few years have taught me that I probably would have been wrong, but we are contemplating a number of projects that continue to strengthen who we are and where we think we are going. And uh, one note here, I, I misspoke. There's actually one more question. The page cut off, and I thought that was the end, but no, it goes to the uh, next page here, page 17. The final question is, What's something people don't know about Fairway that might surprise them? 
Well, Garrett Picklap's answer is, I don't think this is a surprise, but given the number of questions we get, there are absolutely positively no plans to open on Sundays. None, zero. So for any employee who reads this, any customer who reads this, or government official who reads this, there are no plans to open on Sundays. We know exactly what that means. We can both qualitatively with our employees that get the day off and quantitatively with the business that doesn't get the sales. We can measure exactly what it means, but it is one of the non-negotiables around here and it's something we're very proud of. Well, that was questions by Michael Crum and answers by Garrett Picklap, Fairway President. Garrett's a very nice person. I had a chance to meet him once and uh, talk to him a little bit. A news story I was covering for a different, uh, different outlet and uh, he's a very nice person, so the fairway is going to be in very good hands. Our next article, Fearless in 2023. Advice, words of wisdom, hopes for Iowa women in New Year. To usher in the new year, we asked more than a dozen women who live across the state to write about their hopes, dreams, and things to keep in mind for women's advancement and gender equality or equity. Equity. Together, their columns provide a holistic view into the various barriers, experiences, and challenges that women face. Topics featured in their submissions include women in leadership, supporting small business owners, self-care, higher education, women in political office, self-advocacy, maternal health, and mental health. Enjoy and Happy New Year. This written by Emily Kestel, Fearless Editor. And uh, then we have uh, something here written by Emily Steele that says, We must continue to support women small business owners. As we step into 2023, it's clear to me that we have so much room to help make women's dreams of business ownership a reality. Women are exceptional. Look at all the businesses in our very own community that set the tone and culture of our city. From the joy of finding the best vintage lamp at Divine Times Vintage to sipping on the world's best mocha at Zanzibar's to grabbing a vegan sweater from Marnie, you've worn more times than you hope people realize. We get these micro experiences every single day because women have said, yes, I will sign that seven-year lease and get a second mortgage on my house because this is my dream and I know my community will love it. Because I've spent the last decade building brands that connect, educate, and equip small business owners locally and beyond, I know many of these women live with a vision inside to create a different future for themselves and their community. What would it feel like for these women in our community to identify their visions out loud and I tell our and tell our community what we need or what they need? How could we show up differently for these talented women when we understand how their business can improve our lives and our community? My vision for 2023 is to hear more women boldly proclaiming their dreams and asking for the help they need for connections, dollars, resources, you name it, to make their dreams a reality. There's no doubt in my mind that when a woman's business is funded, she can create employment opportunities, local vendor connections, and an experience for Des Moines and Iowa, shoppers and visitors that makes our city and state an even more attractive place to live, work, and play. Employers must invest in programs that help women of color reach their full potential. This is written by Claudia Shabel. Did you know that by 2060, women of color will make up the majority of all women in the U.S.? With the greatest representation coming from Latinx, Black, Asian, and Native Indigenous women, respectively. As of 2020, women of color made up 18% of entry-level positions in the workforce, 
but the representation at work is projected to increase rapidly in the decades to come. Meanwhile, they still face significant challenges navigating the workplace. For them, it can be often described as a minefield fraught with politics, biases, discrimination, and microaggressions. Being a woman of color has been referred to as a double bind with intersections of gender and my gosh, with intersections of gender and racial ethnic identities, they often confront a number of unique challenges in the workplace and their everyday experiences are not improving. Many women of color leave their jobs due to a lack of support for their advancement and in many cases workplace bias that prevents them from growing in their careers, negatively impacting their well-being as they are twice as likely as men to be burned out, more than twice as likely as men to report feeling negatively about their job, and almost three times as likely as men to say they've struggled to concentrate at work in the past few months due to stress. While progress is being made, there is still a long way to go before women of color can reach their full potential in the workforce. Given that they are increasingly making up a larger portion of the workforce, this topic is increasingly important for our employers to address by investing more time and resources in meaningful DEI programs to ensure women of color are empowered, valued, have pathways to advancement, and are compensated fairly. Sponsorship, mentor, mentoring, and allyship Programs are examples that many women of color leverage, but they need to impact participants at all employee levels to have lasting effect within organizations. Organizations need to critically assess their own workforces and workplaces before determining which strategies to develop and implement for helping women of color succeed in the long term. This next one is uh, by Don Oliver, We And, and Deanne Cook. We must continue to create Solutions to Improve Women's Economic Self-Sufficiency When the Iowa Women's Foundation was founded in 1994, there was and still is no other organization in the state dedicated solely to improving the economic success of women and girls. Like most other places in the U.S., Iowa's data about well-being, about the well-being of women and girls can present two contradictory stories. So, some women are doing well, more women are entering the labor force, more women are attending and graduating from college, more women are enlisting in the military. Girls are reaching greater proficiency in academics, including science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Women's life expectancy has increased. But in contrast, even more women and girls are facing barriers and setbacks to achievement and prosperity. More than two-thirds of all Iowa female-headed households struggle economically. The median family income for female-led households defined as no spouse with children under 18 is $28,610. Compared with that for male households, no spouse present, which are $45,828. By comparison, the median income for married coupled families is $97,993. More than 60% of service sector workers are female, with approximate an average hourly pay of $13.36. Only, only 22% of executives in publicly traded companies and 25% of executives in private for-profit companies in Iowa are women. Since COVID, the situation is even more dire, with women leaving the workforce in record numbers. This is happening both nationwide and in Iowa. According to Iowa Workforce Development, 53,400 women have left the workforce since 2020. It is critical to build solutions that can help women return to the workforce and become economically self-sufficient. Through community-led change, we are working to break down the barriers to economic success 
ensuring that all women and girls have the knowledge, access, and wraparound support they need to obtain a living wage and fulfilling career. IWF's work is informed and guided by community stakeholders who identified six barriers to economic success for Iowa's women and girls. Child care was identified as the primary barrier, leading IWF to focus additional resources on shattering this barrier first. Below are a few examples of work that's been done to shatter the child care barrier. The public now more readily recognizes child care as an economic issue. The Building Community Child Care Solutions Network was established and has grown to over 60 communities working together to increase access to quality, affordable child care. In partnership with the Iowa Economic Development Authority, a full-time employer engagement director is working with over 100 businesses who choose to make an investment in child care for their employees. The child care workforce is being supported through community partnerships with bonuses and increased wages. Elected officials have made child care a priority and are working to get child care legislation on the books that supports Iowa's working families at the national and state levels. We are increasing the availability of quality, affordable child care. The goal is a growing and thriving child care industry, enabling more women to obtain employment and stay in the workforce. That's written by Don Oliver Weehan, outgoing president and CEO of the Iowa Women's Foundation. So Deanne Cook writes, It is a privilege to follow in Don's footsteps to build on the convening, advocacy, and funding niche that Iowa Women's Foundation has carved to shatter barriers to women's economic success. The work of the foundation in recent years to bring together stakeholders from policymakers to business to child care providers to to families has made a significant impact in Iowa. Powerful partnerships have been developed in the effort to create more accessible, affordable, and reliable child care options for Iowans. There remains significant work to do for those efforts to reach all the families who experience economic constraints from lack of child care. However, our state now has a strong multi-sector team committed to continuous improvement. IWF remains a dedicated partner, advocate, and funder to advance this critical work. The six identified barriers to women's economic success are child care, housing, transportation, education and training, mentoring, and employment. All of these barriers currently affect the ability of Iowa women, especially those in low-income households, to achieve financial self-sufficiency. The trait of Iowans to get on with what's necessary without disclosing the depths of their personal challenges may mean we are not aware of these individual struggles. That doesn't mean Iowa women are quote-unquote fine. Child care is a necessary first step to achieve employment. Without it, there is no opportunity for mothers of young children to seek the majority of available jobs. Beyond child care lie additional layers of barriers, from the practical, like transportation and housing, to the connections needed to grow job skills and advance careers through additional training and mentoring. In 2023, IWF will take the lessons learned from coalition building, partnering and advocating in the child care space to convene Iowa stakeholders to determine where other work can be scaled to shatter additional barriers and create an even stronger support framework to advance women's achievement of financial self-sufficiency. Strong households make strong communities. IWF will continue to support Iowa women through the full spectrum of necessary steps needed to enhance their financial growth and resilience. 
Families benefit from the partnership of many stakeholders in creating structures that build opportunities to strengthen their own abilities and efforts to sustain their households. Attention and investment in these structures now will pay off dividends for generations of Iowa women and girls. That written by Deanne Cook, incoming president and CEO of the Iowa Women's Foundation. And we are well past the halfway point here in today's reading of the business record here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Don't forget, all that you hear on here is intended for the use of our audience. This is Andrew Hoppy Reader filling in. We are going through the business record. They're talking about women's issues. And this is like women's career issues. So uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, things written in here some more, reading this to you. Uh, the last one of these notes, it appears. No, wait a minute. There's more. Hold on. Uh, we have something from Jennifer Kahn first. But, uh, oh, Eddie Andrews is in here, too. How about that? Um, one last one here about women's problems. The most reliable way to ensure social and economic mobility for all genders is through education. That writes Rochelle K. Keck, president of Grandview University. We know that investment in higher education pays off for all genders. Women are currently earning 60% of college degrees at all levels. Only 37% of male high school graduates attend college, compared with 44% of females. This dichotomy may arise from necessity. Women frequently need an extra degree to compete. The news media highlights a need for talent across sectors. In response, employers are eliminating the college degree requirement for many positions. Not all talent is created equal, however, and employers are clamoring for workers who possess actual demonstrated and applied talent. The differentiator and the most reliable way to find that talent has historically been the college degree. Employers know earning a college degree is a long game requiring vision, stamina, discipline, and an intentional, committed investment in self. The college degree symbolizes these characteristics, and employers covet workers who possess them. Despite recent trends, college degrees will remain valuable. By 2031, 72% of jobs will require post-high school education. A bachelor's degree or higher will be required for 43% of all jobs and 66% of higher-paying jobs. Data demonstrates this investment in education by women pays off, pays off. The most reliable way to ensure social and economic mobility for all genders is through education. A bachelor's degree earns workers $1.2 million more than high school graduates. It's $1.6 million more for those possessing a master's degree. A college degree has a bigger impact on female earnings. A four-year degree can increase female earning capacity by 68% as compared with a high school diploma. For men, this increase is only 62%. Beyond earnings, this investment may pay off in other ways. According to Charles McCollum, women will hold the majority of leadership roles in our society, similar to the way men hold most of them right now within 30 years. Work and research are ongoing to ensure more men pursue and successfully complete education beyond high school as their decline in male college achievement hurts us all. Okay, that written by uh, Grandview University's 14th and first female president, Rochelle Keck, began her role in July of 2022. She began her career as a prosecutor before establishing her own law firm in 2014, pivoted to a career in higher education. Prior to coming to Grandview, Keck served as president of Briarcliff University in Sioux City. 
Lawmakers outline priorities for 2023. This is our next piece here by Michael Crum. Spotlight on workforce as lawmakers convene. Did I write that, read that already? Right, anyway, here we go. Lawmakers return to Des Moines this week to begin the 2023 legislative session, and there is no surprise that bolstering the state's workforce will be the focus of the work they do this year at the Capitol. Look for more attention to be paid to child care and housing. There will also be a focus on reforming the state's property tax system, springboarding from individual and corporate income tax reform measures passed during the 2022 session. No matter the issue, expect it to be through the wide lens of how Iowa can attract more workers and retain the ones who are already here. The business record spoke with legislators before the session started to learn what their priorities for 2023 were. Responses are a compilation of interviews, email responses, and comments made at pre-legislative public events. Here is some of what they had to say. We start off with Iowa Minority House Leader Jennifer Converse, Democrat of Windsor Heights. Converse said there is no silver bullet fix to the state's workforce issue, but she's concerned that some lawmakers will try to place too much emphasis on tax issues and not enough on issues like child care and housing. We are looking at it through one lens, which is tax climate, Converse said in an interview with the business record. We're not looking at it through the worker lens, which is what is life like when I go out, when I go to work every day. And that includes all of those things we talk about, housing, child care, making a state a welcoming place for all in quality public schools. All those things that are critical to workforce issues. She said local communities need to retain control over their property taxes, but that is only one piece of the housing puzzle. We also need to be looking at wages and what people can afford and what are the property taxes going toward. What community benefits exist and how are we working to ensure access to affordable housing? She said down payment assistance needs to be addressed as well as the racial equity gap that exists in home ownership and lending practices. It's working with partners in a public-private partnership to address the issue and raising the profile of that issue with private industry while also working to make buying a home easier or renting a home easier. Converse said, we need to be looking at ways to incentivize people to remodel and revitalize blighted homes. We just need to be more holistic in our approach. Converse said, more needs to be done to create greater access to quality child care, saying, we need to do big things that can truly address this issue. We need to look at it from the business perspective and from the kid perspective and what's best for kids, she said. Converse said incentives need to be created to help small business collaborate to create child care centers or to provide more home-based centers. The state needs to look at ways to help families subsidize child care costs and to increase child care worker pay, she said. We need to look at ways to professionalize the industry and make sure people are better paid and look at costs. And that involves looking at things big picture and from a statewide perspective, Converse said. She also has advocated for doing more to make sure Iowa is a welcoming place for all. To question the humanity of our fellow Iowans is not a luxury we have right now, she said. We need to acknowledge and recognize the humanity of each and every one of us so that our state can grow. The more we push people away, the more we're going to struggle to find workers. 
Converse said education will be a top priority for her this session, whether that is keeping public tax dollars in public schools or keeping decisions about a child's education at the local level. She also called for more funding for the region's universities. Converse also said more needs to be done to create access to mental health services in Iowa, including incentivizing providers to come to Iowa and doing more to retain more providers who are educated here. She said reproductive freedom will be another top priority this session, ensuring women have access to the care they need, she says. A state where women are treated as equal citizens and who get to make their own health care decisions is a pretty important determining factor for people decide to live, Converse said. So next up we go to Johnston's own Eddie Andrews, Representative Eddie Andrews, Republican of Des Moines. What did I say, Johnston? He represents Johnston. I saw a lot of big Eddie Andrews signs out there. Andrews describes issues such as property tax reform, child care, and housing as great concerns that will be tackled by both the House and Senate in 2023. They're also priorities of the governor, so there will certainly be a lot of focus on property tax reduction, he said during an interview. Of course, that's a dance between a lot of local, county, school, and state governments, and there's a lot of coordination required between those entities. After taking action the last two years to reduce the child care cliff effect, and trying to increase access to child care, Andrews said lawmakers need to go further in 2023. It's not just the eligibility for child care assistance, it's also incentivizing businesses to expand offerings for child care, so that's going to be revisited and we'll be able to take a look at that earlier in the session rather than later, he said. Housing will be a priority and is an important cog in the wheel of developing the state's workforce, Andrews said. Both the House and Senate have different plans that we're looking at, he said. We've addressed part of it last session, and we're moving full steam ahead this session as well. We are reviewing the path we want to go down. Andrews has advocated for stronger incentives to bolster mental health care in Iowa. We're making every effort to get more doctors here, he said. We expanded the psychiatric residence program at the University of Iowa, so that we can have more providers every single year now, and eventually that will help reduce waiting periods. We also added an incentive program to keep doctors here for five years. These aren't quick fixes, but we are moving in the right direction. Andrews also said lawmakers will continue to look for ways to build on public-private partnerships to work with schools to better prepare our students for the workforce. On the topic of inclusion, he said he views Iowa as being a very welcoming state. Speaking as an African-American Republican, I can tell you I have multiple perspectives to view our state and the people relate to me in various ways, he said. I think overall, Iowa has been a very welcoming state, and even though we always have our differences, I think Iowa traditionally has been very welcoming. Then we go to Sarah Trone Garriott, Democrat of West Des Moines. Trone Garriott listed child care as one of her top priorities during the 2023 session. If we want to attract young families to your communities, if we want them to stay here, if we want them to be an active part of our workforce, we have to invest in child care, she wrote in an email response. But only creating more child care slots isn't enough, Trone Garriott said. We need to ensure safe, quality experience, she wrote. That means investing in the people who provide the care. They deserve good wages, great training, and respect for their important work. Trone Garriott has also advocated for increased support for early childhood education in Iowa. 
In most of our state, public pre-education is only a couple of hours, a couple of days each week. That's really not feasible for working families, she wrote. And with a 6-to-1 return on investment, nothing compares to early child education as an investment in future workforce. She called for increased investment in public education, saying it is essential to a vibrant economy. Our businesses are struggling to find enough workers who are prepared for the jobs we have available now, she wrote. We know that great public schools are a top consideration when considering a job or purchasing a home. Our public universities and technical schools are a tremendous asset for recruiting and training talent. Drone Garriott said the state needs to do a better job of working with local communities, businesses, and organizations to address the housing issue. We can't address this need unless we are working as partners, she wrote. Many of our municipalities are doing the work of planning. The state and our business community have an opportunity to join in their process. It will take all of us working together to address this need. On inclusion, Trone Garriott said the legislature needs to take its cues from the people of Iowa, not some national partisan agenda. Unfortunately, legislators are not doing enough listening, she wrote. Legislation comes out of nowhere and rushes through the process with very little opportunity for the, way, for the public to weigh in. And even less openness to make changes based on what the public has to say. This results in policy that harms our potential as a state. Our young people especially can see the disconnect. Too many in their frustration are looking for somewhere else to make a life. Then we go to Senator Brad Zahn, Republican of Urbandale. Senate Majority Leaders who were contacted for comment on their priorities in the 2023 session didn't respond, but during the Greater Des Moines Partnerships Legislative Breakfast on December 13th, Senate President Pro Tem Brad Zahn, Republican of Urbandale, said property tax reform and empowering parents would be top priorities in 2023. He said giving parents more say about what's taught in the classroom will be a priority during the 2023 session. I don't think it's any secret that the governor ran on giving parents more control over their children, especially from the perspective of what school that they want to send their kids to, rather than the zip code that they're assigned to, Zahn said. So when I'm talking about that, I'm sure that we're going to possibly or probably have a conversation about some of the sexually explicit materials that are being shared with our students. Now we're going to throw teachers into jail. That's not going to happen, but I think there should be an opportunity where the parents can weigh in on an important issue. He also said the legislature will take a look at how it can help Des Moines, the Des Moines International Airport Improvement Project be completed. Zahn also said the legislature will continue to work on regulatory reform this year. We have 170 boards and commissions in the state of Iowa, and certainly from occupational licensing, there's 40 different boards as well, and I think we'll probably be looking at that, he said during the panel discussion. Another thing we'll have a conversation about is a certificate of need requirements for health care. Certainly, you have to be very careful about that. I think we've made some positive changes. We certainly need to make some more. That takes care of all those commentaries from the legislature. Moving on now to Innovation Iowa Snapshot. ISU study indicates more education increases entrepreneurship. Iowa State University economics professor John Winters and graduate student Kun Wan An have co-authored a new study that indicates more education increases entrepreneurship in the U.S., particularly for women. 
The benefits of education are often debated. Some worry it's mostly about signaling rather than skill development, but our study provides a piece of evidence that additional years of education after high school can boost self-employment in high-growth industries, Winter said in a news release about the study. Winters and on categorized industries as high growth, low to middle growth, and shrinking based on industry employment growth data between 2006 and 2019 from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics quarterly census of employment and wages. They relied on the U.S. Census Bureau's American Community Survey examining employment and education data on nearly 8.2 million people born in the U.S. between 1963 and 1990. The self-employed identification includes others who are not entrepreneurs intending to start and expand new businesses. So the researchers based their study on survey respondents who were self-employed and had an incorporated business. The high-growth category included e-commerce and computer processing services, but also in industries within education, healthcare, and social services. Food processing, trucking, and grocery were among the low-to-middle-growth industries, and manufacturing of automobiles, electronics, and other products made up the larger share of the shrinking industries, the release said. In summary, Winters and On's study found additional schooling led to more self-employment in high-growth industries for men and women. Additional schooling led to more self-employment in low-to-medium-growth industries for women but not men. Additional schooling led to less self-employment in shrinking industries for men. The researchers could not make any definitive conclusions about the shrinking industry self-employment for women because the results were not statistically significant. Winter said obtaining more education shifted the overall number of self-employed men from shrinking and low-to-medium growth industries to high-growth industries and increased self-employment overall for women. Entrepreneurs need confidence to take the risk of becoming self-employed. And Winters said differences in confidence levels among men and women could explain the different effect of education on their self-employment. Previous research has shown men historically tend to be more confident or even overconfident compared with women, he said. Education is empowering for men who are overconfident. Additional schooling may not affect their confidence much, but it can provide skills to help them in more productive and higher growth industries, Winters said. For women, education may have an even greater impact on encouraging them to jump into entrepreneurship by increasing their confidence in addition to their skills. Winters and On used employment and education data from white, non-Hispanic adults for the study in order to have large enough sample sizes for every state between 1963 and 1990. Winters said there is a need for further research on the effect of education on entrepreneurship as a whole and within different demographic groups. Education and entrepreneurship are both massively important topics, and better understanding how they work together is critical for a prosperous future, he said. Our paper is only scratching the surface, but we hope future research sheds light on things like the influence of of college major, student debt, and where entrepreneurs start their businesses. Winters and On published the paper on the study in the journal Small Business Economics. Moving on to page 30 now, Statewide Roundup, your monthly briefing on the top business news happening around the state as reported at the time. We start off with Eastern Iowa Airport adding daily nonstop flights to D.C. 
dated December 19th, 2022. And these notes actually go all the way through January 5th of this year. Dateline Cedar Rapids. The Eastern Iowa Airport in Cedar Rapids will be offering nonstop daily air service to Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C. via American Airlines beginning June 1st. Airport Director Marty Lenz said the addition of nonstop daily service to Washington has been decades in the making and was largely spurred by the success of other nonstop flights added by American in recent years, particularly those to Phoenix and Charlotte. Pearson lays off 50 employees in Iowa City. Pearson Education has cut 50 jobs in Iowa City, according to a WARN WARN Act filing. The filing lists December 16th as both a layoff and notice date. The publishing and assessment company says that despite the layoffs, it will maintain a large presence in the Iowa City area. The Corridor Business Journal reports that. Iowa liquor sales up 3.7% with Tito's topping the list. All right. Dateline Des Moines, Iowa. Tito's handmade vodka was the most popular brand of liquor sold in Iowa in fiscal year 2022. Surpassing Black Velvet? No. How could it be? Which had held the top spot since fiscal year 2012. Yeah, Black Velvet. It's good stuff, isn't it? According to the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division's annual report, Black Velvet slipped to the number two spot with Captain Morgan's Spiced Rum holding the number three spot for the third consecutive year, the report showed. According to the report, the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division sold nearly 6.5 million gallons of liquor in fiscal year 2022, with 10 counties accounting for more than 66% of statewide sales. That reports the business record. Unions push for Iowa law to limit length of trains. Dateline Des Moines, this dated December 27, 2022. Unions that represent rail workers are lobbying for a state law that would limit the length of trains. Longer trains lead to more accidents, are more unsafe, they lead to more blocked crossings, and for our small communities in Iowa, that could be a life or death situation if your house is on fire or your grandma or child is having a medical issue. Then that ambulance could not get to you on time, says Chris Smith, state director of Smart TD, a union that represents transportation workers. A federal report found the length of trains increased 25% between 2008 and 2017. There is likely no limit in state or federal law on how long a train can be. A bill to set 8,500 feet, which is about 1.6 miles, as the maximum train length cleared initial review in the 2022 Iowa legislature. That reports Radio Iowa. Lawsuit accuses Iowa newspaper publisher of online privacy violations, Dateline Davenport. The Iowa-based newspaper chain Lee Enterprises is facing a potential class action lawsuit alleging it has shared readers' personal information with Facebook in violation of federal law. Lee publishes newspapers and other media content in 77 markets across 26 states. The company's 10 Iowa papers include the Quad City Times in Davenport, the Sioux City Journal, and the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Still reports the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Shortage of court reporters in Iowa beyond crisis. This dated December 28th. Dateline Cedar Rapids. Not many careers can guarantee job openings at any given time, but this one has 33 openings in Iowa with an annual starting salary pay of nearly $56,000. 
Court reporters in Iowa and nationally are in high demand, but there aren't enough people pursuing the career or graduating fast enough to combat the crisis-level shortage that Iowa courts have been experiencing for the last several years, so reports the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Iowa Medical Marijuana Program Grows in 2022 Iowa's medical marijuana program saw growth in 2022 as the number of registered patients increased and as sales rose at the state's licensed dispensaries. As of November, the number of card holders in Iowa's program stood at 14,466, close to double the 7,865 enrolled patients in December of 2021, according to a new report from the Iowa Medical Cannabinoid, Cannabinoid Oil Board, which administers the program. More health care providers are certifying patients for the program. As of November, 1,920 practitioners had certified a patient for at least once, compared with 1,603 nearly a year ago, so reports the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jewel e-cigarette settlement to net Iowa $5 million put restrictions on sales and ads. This is out of Des Moines. E-cigarette maker Jewel Labs Inc. has agreed to pay $5 million to the state of Iowa over the next year. Four years and change its targeted advertising in the state, Attorney General Tom Miller announced. Iowa is among states across the country that have reached settlements with Juul over its alleged marketing to teenagers, not just the adult smokers it says its products are intended for. And we are way past time here in this reading of the business record. One more before I wrap it up. Marengo Company now could face fines on top of cleanup costs from December fire. This is from January 5th, 2023. Dayline Marengo, owners of a Marengo workshop that exploded last month, entering half its workforce and leaving an environmental mess, now may face thousands of dollars in fines on top of cleanup costs. The Iowa Department of Natural Resources referred C60 to the Attorney General's Office for legal action this week after the company said it could not meet deadlines for cleaning up the site. That from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And that's all this time we have for this reading of the business record. Hope you enjoyed it. This has been Andrew Halp with you here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Have a great day, a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening and straight ahead.